From 1939 through 1945, Jewish people living under the Nazi rule were forced to wear a yellow badge shaped like a hexagon known as the Star of David, the Jewish star to identify them as Jews. The Jewish star known as the Magain David, the Star of David. What is the significance of the star? Why is it called the Star of David? You may find this star on stones in a cemetery. You may find it on a necklace, in a synagogue, on a flag. What is the significance of the Star of David, the Jewish symbol, the Jewish star? Who was David? Hello Jody, hi Michael, hi Amy, hi everybody joining on for our weekly Lunch and Learn. Today we'll talk about David, David's star, the star of David and the spirit of David. What exactly happened between David and Goliath? How did a spider save David's life? And how did David try to prevent his own death? Some of these questions and others we'll explore today in the most fascinating life of a man named David. Hello Vicky, hello everyone joining on for our weekly Lunch and Lore, and hello Gary, where we explore every week on Tuesday at 12.15 for 60 minutes or so a topic from a Jewish perspective using Jewish traditional sources from inside. We get to study together. Hello Jack, and today's topic is King David. David, the son of Jesse. David ben Yishai, David ben Yishai. King David. Um, the word, the name David is the most, the third popular boy's name in Israel, at least as of recently. So it is a pretty popular name and it comes from a man, first mentioned in the Torah, a man named David. So join me for a 60 minute journey as we explore the life of King David. Hello Nick. If everyone could take a moment to share this post so others can join in as well and benefit from these words of Torah. And most importantly, what has this got to do with us? My name is not David and I live, we live 3,000 years about after the life of King David. What has this got to do with us? How does David's spirit, the spirit of King David live on? What can we learn? How can we make his life relevant to us? Hopefully, after 60 minutes, we'll emerge with a better understanding of his life and a inspiring message. So join me on the source sheet on this post. There is a link to the source sheet appears especially for today's class. Or if you're on our email list, check your inbox, download, print it out to be able to follow along with the English sources for another fascinating lesson. <clears throat> today's lesson is divided into four sections. And the story of David or David, David, all the same name. The story of David takes us back just about, just under 3,000 years ago to the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, not Bethlehem, New York in Albany. Bethlehem in Israel. Jewish people are about 400 years or so settled in the land of Israel after being led by Moses out of Egypt and Joshua into the land of Israel. They're settled and they are led by a series of judges. Hello, Brian. And about 400 years after entering the land of Israel to a man named Yishai, in English also known as Jesse, but we'll call him Yishai, and his wife Nitzeves, a young boy, a baby boy, is born. Yishai and Itzeves have already seven sons, and an eighth son is born to them, and they name him David. They name him David. I know Bethlehem is known by other religions, but in a Jewish religion, the birthplace of King David, David is born in Beis Lechem, Bethlehem, and that was where our story begins. King David was, David, I'll call him David before he became the king. David is born into a very illustrious family. David is the 10th generation from Judah, the son of Jacob. So we have Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then comes the fourth son, Judah, and Judah, son, Peretz, and goes on until Boaz. Boaz gives birth to Obed, Obed, and Obed gives birth to Yishai, and Yishai has a son, David. David is a direct son after son 
from Judah, the son of Jacob. This is a family of nobles, a family of leaders, of judges, a very pious family and a very kind family, a family of generosity and benevolence. And into this family, David is born. And we take a look to the book of Samuel. The Torah has, after the five books of Moses, you have the book of Joshua, we have the book of Judges, and then you have the book of Samuel, and then you have the book of Kings. And then goes Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But we'll focus on the story of David, the way it's recorded in the books of Samuel and the beginning of the book of Kings. Here we go. Source number one. David said, in David's own words, David said, Your servant kept his father's sheep when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. I went out after it and smote it and delivered the lamb out of his mouth. So we know David is a great warrior. He fought Goliath and we'll touch upon that story soon. But David from his youth, David in his own words says that he was a shepherd. He shepherded his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And not just as an ordinary shepherd, but then when there was an attack on his beloved lambs, on his beloved sheep, a lion or bear would attack, David would run after the lion fearlessly and courageously deliver the lamb out of his mouth. He struck the lion, he struck the bear. He was no ordinary shepherd. He was extremely devoted and dedicated to his flock. Source number two, David would let the young lambs graze. The Midrash gives us a little bit more insight into the shepherding um, virtues, I guess, of King David or young David. David would let the young lambs graze on the soft grass. He had a system of making it just perfect for the lambs. First, he would let out in the in the morning when he would take out the sheep to graze and have something to eat, he would first let out the young lambs to graze on the soft grass as the young lambs were not uh, mature enough to chew on heavy, tough stuff. So they would go out and get all the soft things and he would keep all the other sheep behind. Then, and then let the old and weak sheep graze on the grass that was more difficult to chew. They were already older. Um, they got second chance, leaving the tough grass, and only then he would leave. He would let out the grown ones, the strong ones, and they should eat up the remaining tough grass. If he would let them all out together, the young lambs and the weak sheep would have a difficult time. God told him, "You have proven yourself to be faithful with sheep. Now go and shepherd my flock, Israel." God, Hashem in heaven, saw how David so tenderly tended to the sheep, each one with its needs. God said, now it's time for you to shepherd my flock, the Jewish people, to shepherd, to lead the Jewish people, the people of Israel. And this is how David was chosen. These were the qualities that God saw in David as fit to lead the Jewish people. But how exactly did that happen? Because at the time, David was 28 years old and King Saul was the reigning king. Saul, Shaul, was a king from the tribe of uh, Benjamin and he ruled the Jewish people at the time. But there were a couple of instances where King Saul failed to obey meticulously God's command and the time has come for the prophet Samuel to anoint a new king to be the future king over the Jewish people. Samuel is dispatched to the city of Bethlehem to the family of Yishai to anoint one of his sons as the future king of Israel. Source number three will tell us a little bit about King David. Why was King David a shepherd in the first place? King David had seven older brothers. He had a brother Eliab. He had a brother... Avinadab, Nisanel, he had a, many older brothers who were soldiers, mighty fair soldiers in King Saul's army. But yet David, the youngest, was a shepherd. Why was King David, why was young David just a shepherd? So we look in the book of King David. King David, King David authored a book called Tehillim, 
the book of Psalms, which has 150 chapters. It is one of the 24 books of the entire Tanakh, the entire Torah. And in it, in a in couple of chapters, he describes the, the, the atmosphere in his home. Source number three. I was born with iniquity, with sin. My mother conceived me. King David describes his feelings. More numerous than the hairs on my head are those who hate me without reason. Must I then repay what I have not stolen? Apparently, King David was suspected and blamed for all kinds of crimes that took place in Bethlehem. When something was missing, something went stolen. King David, young David, was not the king yet, young David was the one that was blamed. David was shunned, he was rejected, he was looked down upon, he was cast aside, he was sent out of the house. Why? As he continues, I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons, to his own family, to his own older brothers. King David was alienated. He was sent away. He was like a stranger. And without getting into many of the details, but apparently there was some suspicion that David was an illegitimate child. There was some question around the birth of, of, King David, of David. And therefore, he was set aside, source for as one of the commentaries, great commentary known as the Shach. Shach is an uh, acronym for Sifse Kohen, uh, the, the, the lips of a, of a Kohen. The author was Reb Mordechai Kohen from the 1500s. He lived in Israel, in the north of Israel. He's a great Kabbalist, and he wrote a commentary on the Torah, and he writes that David was given the job of shepherd and was sent to pasture the sheep in dangerous areas because they hoped that a wild beast would come and kill him while he was performing his duties. This was heavy stuff. King David, young David, was a real stranger, an alien to his own mother's sons. Doubting the legitimacy of this child, he was sent out to be the shepherd and specifically in dangerous areas. As we saw in Source 1, David himself said that lions and bears would come attack. And apparently this was a regular occurrence. Why was he sent to pasture in such dangerous areas? Why? Because he was shunned. He was looked down upon. And they tried to do away with him. And in this environment is where David grew up. So when Samuel was dispatched by the God to the house of Jesse, to the house of Yishai, to anoint to appoint a new king who, to be the future king over the Jewish people in the place of Saul, Yishai presents his seven sons. The eighth son, David, is out in the field. He doesn't even think this might not even be his son. He doesn't even think to present him. Samuel looks upon the oldest son of Yishai, Eliav, and he looks handsome. He looks great and Samuel wants to anoint him but source 5 God said to Shemuel God says to Samuel look not upon his appearance or the height of his stature for I have rejected him for it is not as man sees what is visible to the eyes while the Lord sees into the hearts and although he may seem qualified for the position it is not Eliav it is not the oldest son and it was not either the second son, not the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh son. And Samuel is baffled. God has dispatched him to the house of Yishai. And none of the sons are qualified. None of the sons does God instruct him to anoint as the future king. So he asks Yishai, is there not another son? And Yishai says, there is one more son, but he is out in the field. Are you sure that it's him that you want to see? And source 6, Shmuel said to Yishai, Samuel says to Yishai, who was a great man in his own right, send and bring David, for we shall not sit down until he comes. We shall not sit and eat and continue on until he comes. David comes from the field. He, he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Least likely of them all, it was David who held the potential to lead Israel to greatness. The one for, for 28 years of his life was shunned, was looked down upon, was considered illegitimate. He was the one that God 
commands, instructs Samuel to appoint, to anoint as the future king of the Jewish people. What do they say? Don't judge a book by its cover. You might miss an amazing story. David was judged by his family, by the people of his city. But Hashem sees inward into the hearts. Hashem saw that David has the potential to lead the Jewish people. Don't talk about me until you talked to me. We never should underestimate the power of and potential of an individual. I didn't say my blessing over a cup of water. So we covered our first section here. For those that missed it, today's topic is about the Star of David. During the Holocaust, Jewish children and adults were forced to wear this badge shaped as a hexagon, the Star of David. Why is it called the Star of David? What is this significance? And we're talking about the life of David, who lived just under 3,000 years ago. We learned that he is a son, an eighth son, to Yishai and Nitzeves from the tribe of Judah, from a very princely family, one who produced leaders and princes for the Jewish people. David is appointed to be the future king, but King Saul, Shaul, is still ruling the land of Israel. As soon as David is anointed, the Spirit of God leaves Saul, but he is still in position. And it takes some time, about two years or less, for David to officially become the next king over all of Israel. What's the first thing that brings this into play? <clears throat> Let's move on to our next section. Source number seven. Don't underestimate me until you challenge me. King David was put to challenge, put to the challenge, and he came out with flying colors. The young lad who was put in places, in dangerous places, he was shunned, he was rejected, he was looked upon as if he has no potential to do anything good. Here, David shines. And his attention is brought to all of the people of Israel. At that time, the Jewish people are settled in Israel, but they have enemies. And one of them was the Philistines. The Philistines began to wage war against the Jewish people. And, excuse me, as was customary, apparently, in their, those times, instead of having a full-on battle, army to army, they would present one mighty individual, and they would have a one-on-one -on -one match, and whoever would win, that would mean victory for their side. And this is precisely what happened with the Jewish army. King Saul's army, the Jewish army, against the invading Philistines. One, each army was on a mountain and there was a great valley between the two camps. The Jewish camp and the Philistine camp. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post them and we'll get to them soon. Source number seven, the Torah tells us, the book of Samuel chapter 17 tells us, the champion, it was this man emerged from the Philistine camp named Goliath, Goliath in typical Hebrew, Goliath, Goliath. He was a giant of a man. His height was six cubits. That's about nine feet at least. And he was covered in heavy armor from head to toe. He stood and called to the array of Israel, I taunt the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man and let us fight together. Goliath drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. He did this to prevent them from reciting the Shema. So one thing at a time, Goliath, this, this enormous man, mighty, of abnormal height and abnormal strength, presents himself to the Jewish people. He comes out towards the Jewish camp, comes down the mountain, and he says, who is going to dare to meet me, to be a match for me in a single combat? Can you produce an opponent? And the Jewish people were extremely frightened. Who can they send up to meet, to match this giant of a man? 
covered in heavy armor from head to toe. And he presented himself every day for 40 days, morning and evening. Why specifically morning and evening? The Talmud tells us precisely at the time when Jewish people have a mitzvah to recite the Shema. Shema Yisrael. We have a mitzvah to proclaim the unity of God every morning and every evening and to say it with much concentration. And while they were trying to say the Shema to pray to God, they hear this frightening proclamation of Goliath. And that's precisely what Goliath intended for. David is not, an ar- is not a soldier in the army, only David's older brothers, but David is sent off to provide, to deliver provisions for his brothers in the army. And David gets wind. He hears while he's getting an update of what's going on from his brothers, from the Jewish soldiers. He hears the booming voice of Goliath the giant. And he inquires, what's happening? What's this all about? And they tell him. And they tell him that the king promised that whoever is going to be brave enough and courageous, who's going to be fearless to oppose, to match this man Goliath and win him over, will get his daughter's hand in marriage. He will give his daughter, one of King Saul's daughters, as a wife to this individual and riches and honor. But King David is not inspired or young David, is not inspired by the promises, the rewards of wealth and honor. All he says is source number eight, as we see. All the men of Israel were exceedingly frightened. David, after hearing what's going on, approaches Saul and he says to Saul, Your servant will go and battle with this Philistine, for he has defied the ranks of the living God. I'm not doing it for reward. I'm doing it because if he defied the armies of God, the armies of the Jewish people, it is as if he is defying and disrespecting God himself. And the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and, the, and, the, and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. David was untrained. He was not a seasoned soldier. But yet, David, just hearing the... These the, the terrible words of the Philistine defying and taunting the armies of the Jewish people, defying God. He says, the Lord who saved me when I was a shepherd from the lion, from the bear, he will be at my side and help me be victorious over this giant of a man, Goliath. At first, Saul is a bit hesitant, but David is is, uh, adamant that he wants to take this into his hands and let it be known that there is a God, the God of the Jewish people. Source number nine, David approaches Goliath. He's walking down the mountain into the valley and as... Goliath sees young David without a sword, without a spear. All David has is a slingshot with five stones, five smooth stones. Why five stones? Five stones, the commentary of the Radak tells us, five stones corresponding to the five books of Moses. Because in the merit of the Torah, the merit of the Torah that the Jewish people study and follow, he will be victorious. Maybe according to logic and the rules of nature, this can't happen. But David knows that God is on his side and he's doing this to sanctify God's name. And Goliath gets mad. He's burning. He says, am I a dog that you come to me with a stick? With a, without a sword? This little man is going to be a match for me. And he starts charging towards David. Source number nine, David stretched his hand into the bag and took a stone therefrom. He slung it and hit the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. The only place, the only 
open area on the entire body of Goliath. It was covered from head to toe in armor, but on his forehead, that's where there was a small opening. And David hit the target right there. The stone hit his forehead and he fell straight on his face. David didn't have a sword. He ran over, took Goliath's sword, did what he had to do. The Philistines panicked and retreated. And David was victorious and and saving the Jewish people from the threat of the Philistines. But source 10, David sees himself as nothing more than the vessel through which God's salvation is wrought. When he defeats the enemy, he rejoices in the fact that a challenge to God's reign had been dismissed. It's not about David. It's not about the fame and honor and look what I accomplished. There was something that needed to be done. David stepped in, did what it had to do, and got it done. What was celebrated, what he rejoiced about, is that the threat is no longer there. That God's name was sanctified and it was known that God of the Jewish people is on their side and helped them. That's what he celebrated. But the people celebrated David as a great hero. King Saul killed and was victorious over thousands. King David over tens of thousands. David was was uh, celebrated and cheered on by the masses. How did this affect Saul? Source number 11. Saul eyed David from that day on and was hostile to David all the days. At first he was jealous and this jealousy turned to hatred. Although he did give his daughter, a second daughter, Michal, as a wife to David as he had promised. And David was appointed as general uh, and sent out in many battles, future battles, with King Saul's armies, but Saul knew, Samuel had, the prophet had informed him that the kingdom would be taken away from him. It would not stay in his family. It would be transferred to somebody else. He was unaware who it is, but he now suspected that it would be David. And that created a sense of jealousy within Saul. Although he was a great tzaddik and pious man, book tells us of numerous attempts of King Saul to do away with David and at times even put an end to David's life. One of those stories tells of David hiding in a cave during a chase of Saul and his men after young David. And David finds refuge in a cave. And In a short time, Saul is going to be following David's footsteps. And David is worried he's going to be discovered. Suddenly, something miraculous, something amazing takes place. Well, back in the day when David was a shepherd, he would be out there in the field mesmerized by God's creation and praise God and sing to Hashem as we have in the book of Psalms, many of the beautiful songs and poems and praises authored by David. David once questioned God to the purpose of a spider. What use is a spider and its webs that it creates, that it spins? Can we make clothing from spider webs? I'm not sure today. I think there is some some, some sort of usage for it. But 3,000 years ago, um, spider webs was just useless. And actually, in Code of Jewish Law, it tells us that before Shabbos, part of cleaning our home, uh, preparing our home for the holy day of Shabbos, for the arrival of the Shabbos queen, is to take away the webs, whether from the dust or from the spiders. Spider webs are seemingly purposeless. What is the point of a spider and its web? God says, don't question my ways. My creations, everything has a purpose and you will see for yourself. One day, the spider will serve you in a great way. Source number 12. This is a quote from the book of Ben Sirah. It's a book with uh, many interesting things. And one of, the, one of it is um, a story of King David. Not to compare the validity of this source to real Torah sources. This is not to be compared to uh, books of the actual Torah, but nonetheless, it's a very famous, often quoted Jewish story. And here it goes. Source number 12. David 
hid in a cave. Uh, this book, Ben Sira, was apparently um, authored by a grandson of Jeremiah. So uh, it's, there's some question about the, uh, uh, I guess, authenticity or of the of everything in this book. But this is a book, a story that is also hinted to in other sources. Source 12, David hid in a cave and a spider emerged and spun a huge web blocking the entrance to the cave. Saul came, saw the web, and said, nobody could have entered here. I was chasing after David. If he is hiding in this cave, it can't be that he's in this cave because there is a huge spider web blocking the entrance. And if somebody would have entered, then the web would have been pushed aside, it would have been broken. And there was a fully intact web that the spider had woven, the spider had spun, and thereby pr protected David. Saul moved on and did not have, uh, have, has not discovered, did not come to King David. As soon as Saul passed and the danger uh, passed, David kissed the spider and said to it, Blessed is your creator, and you too, Lord of the universe. All your works are splendid. Everything that God does is part of a is part of God's plan. There's a reason and purpose for everything that happens. Here David was, it was demonstrated to him. He questioned God's ways and God revealed it to him. Everything that happens, every detail of creation is part of a huge, massive puzzle. Nothing is insignificant, not just in the human kingdom, but in the animal and plant kingdom as well. So just because no one did it, it doesn't mean it cannot be done. Just because nobody was brave enough to fight Goliath, David did it. And this earned him a great reputation amongst the Jewish people. He had the Spirit of God with him. David, as we saw uh, with him being a shepherd, was very humble. And even as he learned that Saul is out to kill him, David responded in kindness. David responded with respect. He was his father-in-law. He was the king of Israel, a holy man, and he was possessed by a melancholy. He was possessed with a um, hatred, a jealousy of David. And David, at one time, during one chase, it was back and forth at one point, um, you know, this was on and off at King Saul, between King Saul and David. But source number 13 tells us that after one desperate ch uh, chase, uh, David again hides in a cave in the mountains of Judea. And Saul um, is unaware that David is in this specific cave. And he goes in to rest up and take care of his needs. And David and his men, his loyalists, are far deep into the cave. And they see how Saul is right there at the, towards the entrance of the cave doing what he has to do. And the men tell him, David, this is your opportunity to make an end to your foe, to stop the chase, to stop the danger. And David says, no, I am not permitted. He is a man of God. Just because he is, I am his enemy, he is not my enemy. All David does is he gets close quietly and he cuts the corner of Saul's robe. Saul does not realize. He leaves the cave and when Saul is at a distance, David emerges. Source number 13 tells us of Saul's response. David emerges and says, Hey, here I am, Saul. And look what I got in my hand. He does this with respect, kindly, gently and lovingly. And he says, Honorable king, I just had the opportunity to do whatever I wished. But I just... And, and how do I know? Because I was in that cave. Here, I have a piece of your robe. Look how close I got to you. Saul responds. Source 13. Saul raised his voice and wept. And he said to David, You have repaid me with goodness, while I have repaid you with evil. For when a man finds his enemy, does he send him away safely? And now behold, I know that you will reign and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. I know that it's you 
who Samuel was talking about, was referring to, when he said the kingdom will be taken away from me and given to another lad. A very touching scene. They reconcile, and in a future battle, Saul and his son are killed in battle, and subsequently, David, at the age of 30, in the city of Hebron, is crowned as king by the people of Judah, by the tribe of Judah. At first, there is some opposition from the family of Saul. One of Saul's young sons is anointed as a king in a different city, but eventually there is unity and David is proclaimed king over all of Israel. David rules for 40 years over the Jewish people. Seven years in the city of Hebron and the rest of the, of the years, 33 years, in Jerusalem. If you visited the old city of Jerusalem, you will find there is the Migdal David, the Tower of David. City of David. Jerusalem is the city of David. David captured the city. David prepared the city for the eventual building of the first temple by his son, King Solomon, the Tower of David. David minted coins when he was appointed as the new king. What was engraved on his coins? Source number 14. By the way, there are plenty of artifacts um, that prove the existence, besides, of course, the Torah, but actually prove the existence of King David, ancient stones, ancient um, coins, which mention the house of David, the kingdom of David. And in fact, there's one archaeologist, um, I think her name was Eilat uh, Maz Mazar, who claims to have found the remnants of the actual palace of King David. King David built a magnificent palace uh, in Jerusalem. And today you can take a tour. I don't know, actually today, because I don't know what's doing, if they'll let you into Israel. But when there is a chance, you can visit the city of David, the ruins, the, the remains of the palaces of King David, and some fascinating finds that they found in these ancient uh, structures. So... What was on the coin of King David? Source number 14. It's quite quiet. Hello, Mark and Brian and um, everybody joining. Jack, everybody joining on. If you have any comments or questions, any feedback, feel free to comment in the comments. So what was on the coin? Source number 14. Today we're learning about King David, the life of David. Thank you. David HaMelech. <clears throat> Source number 14, the Midrash tells us a tower was on one side of the coin and on the other side a shepherd's staff and bang. The coins of the mighty and great King David. What was on his coin? Was it a sword? Was it a shield? Was it a crown? There was a tower. Shows on strength, on kingdom. And on the other side was a shepherd and a shepherd's bag, a shepherd's staff, excuse me, a shepherd's staff, and bag. The mighty David is not ashamed of his humble origin. He never forgets that God had taken him from his flocks and made him king. And he has other flocks to care for now, and he treats them just as lovingly. Why did God choose David? As we saw before in source number two, David tended lovingly, to each of his sheep, to the needs of each kind of his sheep, each, each uh, age, uh, maturity of, of the sheep. And God chose him to be the future leader of the Jewish people. David never forgot his humble origin. David was very humble. He was gracious to God. And besides being a warrior and great man in battle, David was a pious Torah scholar. And on this coin was a constant reminder of where he came from and how he got to where he is today. There was a tower, 
but it came from a shepherd's staff and bag. For the first 28 years of his life, he was shunned. He was rejected. God picked him up and brought him to be the leader of the Jewish people. David was humble. Let's get to the hexagon, to the star of David, the Mugin David. What is Mugin David? As we said, you might find it on a necklace, on a flag, in a cemetery, in a synagogue, or anywhere else as a Jewish symbol. Definitely used for many, many years. What is referred to in Hebrew is Magen David, the Star of David. But that's not a literal translation. Magen David, Magen means a shield, the shield of David. Why would it be called the shield of David? Well, we don't know for sure, but perhaps this is the reason. Source number 15. The kings of Judah who descended from David carried six-pointed shields. The shields that they carried, not just David, but David was the head of the future dynasty of Jewish kings for many generations to come. Kings and then leaders, the tribe of Judah, and specifically the family, the lineage of King David was a very prestigious family who provided leaders for the Jewish people for thousands of years. Many may not be aware, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was a, what's called Ben Achar Ben, a son after son going back to King David. And many great Jewish leaders were from the house of David. So the kings of Judah who descended from David carried six-pointed shields. Their shield was six-pointed. This is what it says in one of the books of Kabbalah. Now, it doesn't say really why, but perhaps here is a thought from Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, one of the great Jewish halachic decisors, passed away in the 1980s. He writes, perhaps this is to remind us that God reigns over what is above, below, and the four directions. Perhaps the connection with David is that when he went to war, he placed his trust in God's all-encompassing reign. As we saw with his encounter with Goliath, David placed his trust and he relied on God to come to his aid, not on a sword or he didn't come with a shield or spear or anything of the sword. He came with a little slingshot with a couple of stones. And yet he relied on God. So when David, perhaps, and his the kings of the house of Judah would go to war. They carried a shield with six pointers, of six points, like a hexagon, like the Star of David, like the Jewish star, to remind us, to remind him that it is God who is battling for us. And how do we have God battling for us? When we do what God wants, when we study the Torah and we are meticulous in the observance of mitzvahs. The God who reigns everywhere in all four directions and above and below, He is with us in battle. The six-pointed star reminds us that Jewish people are not under the rules of nature. We have a God who created nature and can do miracles as well beyond the rules of nature. So the Jewish star is a very religious star. It is a star with a message of faith a message of God's reign, of the creator and the conductor of everything that happens, whose reign is in all four directions, upward, up, above, and below. Source number 16. There are many anecdotes and stories that the book tells us during the life of David. Actually, David is mentioned in the entire Bible, the entire Tanakh, more times than Moses. Moses is mentioned many times in the five books and other times as well, but about 700 times the name of Moses is mentioned. David is mentioned about a thousand times, just under a thousand times. He is the most mentioned person, most mentioned leader or name in the entire Bible. David, the house of David, he was on par Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David is one of the seven shepherds of the Jewish people. David. And one of those stories demonstrates David's humility. It wasn't about him. 
It wasn't about what people are going to say, the impressions. It was just doing the right thing, doing the right thing to sanctify God's name. Why he was there. Not for himself, but for the purpose, for a mission. Source number 16. So David builds his palace in Jerusalem and you can visit part of that palace next time you're in Israel in the city of David. And he says to himself, well, I'm in this magnificent palace, but God's ark, the ark and uh, with the tablets and the Torah and the menorah and all the vessels of the temple, at that time, the tabernacle from Shiloh was destroyed and there was no permanent position, permanent location for the ark and he decides to bring the ark into the city of Jerusalem and it is done with great celebration. Source number 16. As the ark of the Lord with the original tablets with the Ten Commandments engraved with the hand of God, as the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the wife of David, daughter of Saul, peered through the window and saw David hopping and dancing before the Lord. Imagine, it's like Simchas Torah. And it's like, uh, for those that remember or have participated in a um, procession of bringing a new Torah scroll to a synagogue where everybody comes out with with um, lights, with fires, and dancing in the streets, and music. It's a real celebration for the honor of God and His Torah. And David was doing such. And she despised him for it in her heart. Michal didn't like what she saw. King David, her husband, is acting like this. And when David came home, Michal came out to meet David and she said, How honored was today the king of Israel who exposed himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as would expose himself one of the idlers, as a, as a simpleton, as an idler would, would behave. This is how my husband, the king of Israel, exposed himself dancing and hopping. That is not befitting. That is not honorable for the king. David responds, source 17, it's not about me. It's not, I am not concerned with what people will think because this is before the Lord. Said David, before the Lord. It was a celebration for Hashem who chose me above your father. And here he hints to his wife, to Michal, that God chose me over Saul because you chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me prince over Israel. Saul was not always obedient uh, precisely to God's commands. He was influenced by the pressures of the people. But David was a true leader. David says, perhaps this is who, God who chose me above your father. Therefore I have made merry before the Lord. This was not about me. David was humble. He was submissive. It was, it was not about him. It was about this is a celebration for God. This brings honor to God that His Ark with His tablets, with His Torah and commandments are being brought with great honor and great um, joy and celebration. If I be demeaned more than this, David said, I would have even danced more and be abashed in my own eyes. Yet of the maidservants, with them will I get my, uh, my um, get will I will I get me honor. On the contrary, he says this raised my honor in their eyes, seeing that it wasn't about him. He was a true servant of God. As the Torah many times referred to David, David Avdi, David Avdecha, your servant David, like a servant. He may have been a king, a king over Israel, and a mighty warrior, but he was a servant to God. And this was his way of celebrating and honoring Hashem. As we see in the words of the Midrash, source 18, God told Israel, I love you because each time I bestow greatness upon you and your leaders, you shrink yourself before me. I bestowed greatness upon David. And he said, but I am a worm, less than human. In Psalms, David expresses himself. One of his songs is like, Vanochitolas, a worm. Gentile rulers, contrastingly, react to divine beneficence with arrogance. And the Midrash goes on to give different examples. Nebuchadnezzar, we spoke about him, the Babylonian king who destroyed the first temple. God granted greatness over the Assyrian king. Yet, Nebuchadnezzar responded with arrogance. 
the opposite of King David. That brings us to our final section of today's lesson. Source 19. Now, the name David, we said it's the third most popular name in Israel. Very popular. David, David, David Leib. Sometimes you might have a second name. Shmuel David. Many names that go along with David. What does David actually mean? Interesting. David is spelled in Hebrew, Dalid Vav Dalid which can also be read Dodi, like Lecha Dodi, Lecha Dodi. Dodi means my beloved. In Hebrew, a friend can be a Chaver or also a Yedid. Yedid, like Yedid Nefesh, like we sing on Shabbos. Yedid is a friend, a colleague, um, a loving friend. And David was beloved by the people because he was humble. He was endeared by the people because he treated them tenderly as he treated his sheep when he was a young shepherd. <clears throat> One famous story about David is the story of David and Bathsheba, or we call it Bathsheba. We're not gonna go into the details of the story, we had another lesson, if those that recall, uh, a while ago, about the whole story of David and Bathsheba, what exactly the Talmud means when it says that David did not really sin, and how David repented, and so on. Just an just a, a interesting point, as we see in Source 19, that David did not hide. The story, number one, is recorded in the book, in all of its details, in the book of of Samuel, but also in his own book, in his book of Psalms, David has a psalm all about his repentance, his teshuva to God for that one sin, which wasn't even really a sin as we discussed the details another time. She technically wasn't a married woman, and so on. But David himself, there is a chapter of Psalms, and actually it's customary to say this chapter every night before we go to sleep when we say the Shema. Source number 19, a Psalm by David, composed when Nathan, when Nassan the prophet came to him after he engaged in relations with Bathsheba. This is David's own book. David repents. He says to God, according to your great mercies, erase my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity. Purify me of my sin, for my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. David did not deny what happened. And as soon as, the, as Nassan the prophet reprimanded him, David accepted. David said, I have sinned. And David repents to God. He does not shy away. He does not cover up and deny what happened. David faces the issue and repents. And for the rest of his life, David cries. And as he says here, my sin is always before me. And of course, there were those that taunted David and said, uh, you know, that he did this and he did that. And David requested from God that he be known that he was forgiven for this sin. Source 20. After David's passing, it was known to all the piety, the righteousness of David and how he was forgiven for this sin. Source 20. David, as we said, prepared the blueprints. He prepared actually the materials for the construction of the temple. But the actual temple was built by King Solomon after the passing of David. After years of design, construction, finally the temple is ready and the ark is ready to be brought in to the new temple. But there was a problem. Source number 20, when Solomon, the Talmud tells us, when King Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba, who was born from both of them together, 
when Solomon built a holy temple, he wished to bring the ark into the holy of holies. But the gates were not open for him. <laughs> there was something mysterious. The gates were not open. There was some divine... Something divine holding back the doors from opening. Solomon recited 24 prayers, yet he was not answered. And Solomon began to evoke the merit of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, and other great fathers, patriarchs, the leaders of the Jewish people, but nothing was, hap nothing was happening. He was not being answered. The doors remained tightly shut. Yet, as soon as Solomon said, O oh God! Do not reject your anointed one. Remember the kindness of your servant David. The gates sprang open. At that moment, the faces of all of David's enemies turned black like the bottom of a pot. And all of Israel knew that God has forgiven David that sin. Let's talk a little bit about the end of King David's life. <clears throat> David was born on the sixth day of Sivan, which we celebrate as the holiday of Shavuos, the day the Torah was given. Ten Commandments were given, the revelation at Mount Sinai. And initially, 5,700 um, years ago, during the lifetime of Adam, Adam, the first man, he was a very holy man. He was created by God, him and his wife, Adam and Eve. And <clears throat> Source 21, the Midrash tells us, the book of Adam's descendants was passed before him. Adam had a lot of descendants. All of us, all of the humans, not just in early times, for all of eternity, these were all the descendants of Adam and Eve. So the book of Adam's descendants must have been a real thick that book was passed before him and he had enough time to read through all the names Adam lived for many years he saw David's portion of life would be three hours he saw that David was to be born to Yishai and Nitzavetz and was only to live for three hours he said to God master of the world this should not be decreed a thought has come to me. I have an idea. Adam said to him, How many are my years? Adam says to God, How many are my years? How many years am I destined to live? God said, One thousand years. Adam said, Can I give some as a gift? One thousand years. Can I give some of that to David? God said, Yes, you can. How much would you like to give? Adam said, I will give him seventy years to be his fate. Adam portions off 70 years of his life. He lived for 930 years, the Torah tells us in Genesis, instead of 1,000 years. Interesting because when Adam partook of the tree and ate the fruit of the tree, God had told him that the day that you eat from that tree, you will die. Adam didn't die that day. But to God, 1,000 years is a day. And Adam was to live 1,000 years. But Adam sliced off a little less than 10% of his lifetime and gifted it to David, who lived instead of three hours, David lived precisely 70 years. David was born and passed away on the same day, on the sixth day of Sivan, the exact day that the Torah was given to the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments. How exactly did it happen? David was a prophet. He was able to communicate with Hashem. And in, a book, in his book of Psalms, in chapter 39, David makes a request of God, source 22, Lord, make me to know my end. Make me to know my end. He wanted to know, when is he going to die? He, need, he wanted to know how many years he has left. He was maybe unaware of uh, the 70 years. or He wanted to know when it's going to happen. Exactly. God says it is a secret. 
Nobody knows when they're going to die. And David says, but please tell me what day of the week will I die? So that, uh, that God says, I will reveal to you, it will be on Shabbos. On the holy day of Shabbos, that is the day of the week that you will die. Now David did not want that, and there was a back and forth, a dialogue between David and God that the Talmud records. He wanted to die on a Friday because when one dies on Shabbos, uh, they are not buried immediately because of the holiness, the sanctity of the day of Shabbos. David wanted to die on a Friday. God says, not every moment of your life is precious to me. So maybe on Sunday, he says, no, your time to die is on Shabbos. Your son Solomon will succeed you and I don't want to take from his time. On Shabbos is when you will die. So what did David do? Talmud tells us, continuing in source 22, he said to him, remember, David has exactly, interesting that, We'll get to that in a second. So what does David do? He said to him, You will die on Shabbos. What did David do? Every Shabbos he would study all day long to protect himself from the angel of death. Because we know that the angel of death is an angel and does not have dominion over the enormous power of Torah study. And one studies Torah and utters the words of Torah from his mouth or her mouth there is a great aura, there is a great light that stems, that comes from and envelops the person that um, keeps the angel of death very far and cannot come to him and bring death when they're connected to the life, to Torah, which is our life. Death cannot come upon a person. So David, not wanting to die on Shabbos, trying to prevent or at least delay his death, David, every Shabbos, would study, study, for the entire duration of Shabbos, would study Torah non-stop. That was a good plan. On the day on which David was supposed to die, here's what happened. David had a garden behind his house. The angel of death came and shook the trees, started to make noise. Trees were shaking. David went out to see what's going on. As he climbed the stair in the garden, still saying words of Torah, the stair broke beneath him. He was startled and interrupted his studies for a moment and died. That is where David died, in his garden, behind his home, when he stopped saying the words of Torah for a brief moment. This story teaches us what Torah study can accomplish. But what God has in mind God's ways would be fulfilled. And David passed exactly on his 70th birthday, living 70 years that was gifted to him by Adam. Actually, Adam, Adam is spelled with three Hebrew letters. Aleph, Dalid, Mem, Adam. Aleph stands for Adam. Dalid stands for David. And Mem, Adam, stands for Mashiach. Mashiach, the future Jewish king, Messiah, who will be a direct descendant of King David. Adam started with Adam. David was a shining light, first Jewish king of the house of Judah, and the final king will be Mashiach, who will restore the kingdom of King David and continue on the teachings of David, continue in the ways of David, humbly teach Torah and lead the Jewish people to an era where God will be felt and recognized by all. That's a bit about King David's life. It was pretty fascinating preparing this class. I hope this was enlightening. And the spirit of David with the hexagon reminds us to constantly remember Hashem, have rely on Hashem. We gotta do what we gotta do. But ultimately, it is in God's hands Everything that happens, even a spider crawling and making a web, is part of God's plan. We have a song that we sing. David, Melech Israel, David, the Melech of Israel, the King of Israel. Chai, Chai, Vekayam is alive and eternal. David is here. The message of King David continues to inspire us forever. Comments, questions are more than 
Welcome. So just to, to wrap this up, David was not just a warrior. David was a spiritual leader of the Jewish people. That's really what a king was about. A Jewish king was not just a mighty man Jewish who uh, brought and expanded the kingdom and forced laws. The Jewish king was a model of spiritual piety, a model of being a servant to God. And Saul... Um, was replaced by David because David was the true servant of God. And he inspired the people to do the same. That's what a king is about. A king was a model of submissiveness or of um, piety to God's ways. David was the direct, besides being a king, he was also a great Torah scholar and he was the greatest Torah sage of his times. He would study Torah in all of his free time. And he was a direct link in the tradition of, of the Torah. We have Moses. Moses taught it to Joshua, Yeshua. Yeshua taught it to Pinchas, who was a grandson of Aaron. And Pinchas taught it to Eli, the great high priest Eli. Eli taught it to Samuel, Shemuel, who was the son of Hannah. We read the story in Rosh Hashanah. She prayed and was granted a son, Shemuel, Samuel. Samuel anointed and taught King David. David passed it on to Solomon. So David was a critical link in the Jewish tradition of the Torah teachings back from, from Sinai. And David, King of Israel, lives on forever. L'chaim. Thank you for joining us for Lunch and Learn number 151. Join us next week for another fascinating lesson about King David. I think I saw somebody commented. Um, can't find it now. David, originator of Bitcoin. I'll have to check that up. <laughs> Not sure what that means. But David is a great man. And maybe next week we'll talk about more of his book. Hello, Gail, and everybody that joined us. His book. Uh, the book of Tehillim. What's the significance of this book? When do we use it? How do we use it? What exactly does it talk about in this book? So tune back in next week. Zai gesund. Be well. And thank you for joining.